circumstance that you might have. Oh, he's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right, now, God, I ask you to touch every home. If you touch every family, God, where they're at. And I just pray that you minister, God, as we continue on. Lord, as we listen, open up to hear your word and, and hear what you have to say to us this morning. We ask you, Lord, in this place right now, where everybody's at, God, I ask you to minister to them, that you encourage them, that you bless their hearts and their life right now. And, Lord, that you have your hand of grace upon them, your hand of blessing and mercy. Oh, God, right now where they're at, Jesus, I pray that you encourage them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want you to turn your attention to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Praise God. I'm going to do a little bit of expository preaching this morning. Which simply means I'm just reading through the Bible and there's a few points that... As I was doing my daily Bible reading that God kind of gave to me uh, as I was going through this. I don't always find my messages in my Bible reading, but there's times that God just gives it right to me. And uh, this was one of those times this week when I was doing my reading that it just came to me. God just broke some things up and uh, I just want to share it with you. I have not preached often on Gideon. This morning, I'm going to do that. So again, just turn your attention to... Judges chapter 7 and verse 1 we're going to be starting with here. Praise God, praise God. God is so good. Just give me one more second as I set up here. Siri's trying to talk to me. I guess she's lonely. But she, I can't talk to her right now. But Judges chapter 7 verse 1 says, Then Jerubbabel, who was Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Arod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me or boast about themselves saying my own hand has saved me and you know again I, I usually don't do a ton of expository preaching and so I kind of forgot to give a title to help us have a thought of what we're going to capture here as we go through this the thing that I feel to capture is that um, when all you have left when all you have left is God and that's all you have left. You don't have anything else besides God. And at this time in, in the book of Judges chapter 7 here, the Israelites had, uh, in chapter 6, God had prophetically or had come and visited Gideon and he spoke to him and talked to him and informed him that he was going to use him to deliver the, the country of Israel, the people of Israel, from the Midianites, from those that had them captive at this time. And... They were not allowed to worship any other god besides the gods of the Midianites. And so in this time, during this circumstance, um, God comes in chapter 6 and he, and he talks to Gideon, tells him he's going to use him. And Gideon questions, questions it and asks God to confirm a few times. He throws a fleece down to confirm that, that God really is talking to him. And he's trying to do this thing. And, 
And I, I can't go too far into that. I'm just trying to bring you up to this moment. And so here we're at this situation and God is talking to Gideon. He's saying, Gideon, grab the people and you're going to go in and you're going to take over the Mennonites who has many more soldiers than the Israelites. And so they already felt like they couldn't do this. They already felt that they didn't have the ability and the capabilities and the capacity to be able to, to defeat the Midianites. And so they already struggled with that. And lo and behold, as we've just read in, in verse 2 of chapter 7, Judges, we read right here that, oh, that God tells Gideon, you have too many people. There's too many of you. And so what we're finding here is, is the, the Israelites had gone through a time where they felt they didn't need God. And so now God, as he's heard them crying out to him um, and seeing their pain, seeing their struggle and seeing what they're going through, he now wants to deliver them. But he's going to deliver them in such a way that they realize that this is all God. And when it comes down to the end of the day and you have nothing else left, God is the one that's going to pull you through. God is the one that's going to help you in your circumstance, and your situation. And he's trying to help the Israelites realize that when there's nothing else, all your strength, all your abilities, it's God that's going to be able to pull you through. It's God that helps us through all these circumstances. It's God. So when all you have left is God, what are you going to do is the question. And so we find here in, in verse 2, as I just read, he said there's too many here. And verse 3 says, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand left. So altogether, there was thirty-two thousand soldiers that was going to go after the Midianites. And God knocked it down to ten thousand. And he starts off with this fear thing. Because listen, if we're going to trust God, if we're going to be able to win everything else, you have, all, all you have left is, is, is God. How are you going to do that? How are we going to plug into God when he's all we have left? When our jobs are gone, when our money's gone, when we're going through pandemics, when our, our political system is so chaotic, what doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on, it's just crazy out there, the society that we're living in. And there's a lot of things where you're wondering, what's going to happen? How are we going to get to the next day? How is this going to happen? And the big key word is this, and this is what I've been studying, is the word trust. That God is asking us this question, are you going to trust me? And when you have nothing else left, are you going to trust me? So instead of taking a whole sermon to go through the answer to the question, when all you have left is God, what are you going to do? I've given you that. Trust. But what I've got to help us understand this morning, what I believe the Lord wants to speak to some hearts about, is that when it comes to trust, how can I develop trust in God? Sometimes we think for some reason that when it comes to our walk with God, that God's going to, you know, we say trust in God, lean on God, God's our strength and all of that. But sometimes we go so far to think for a second that somehow he's going to take our hand and do it all for us. Yes, the metaphor is God says, take my hand and I'll lead you. But we've got to understand that's a spiritual metaphor. God's physical hand does not come to us. God is a spirit. He is not flesh and bones. He is a spirit. And therefore, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we worship him and we follow him, we're following the leading of His Spirit. 
We're following the guidance of His Spirit. But when it comes down to the end of the day, I have to make the move. I have to trust in Him. I have to follow and trust in what He's telling me to do. And one of the first things that you that, that ruins trusting God is fear. And so God, right off the bat, to knock this army down, he, he goes right after those that are fearful and insecure. We live in a society that insecurity ran, is rampant wild. It's, it's worse than wildfires. It, 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 it rampages many homes and families. Insecurity haunts so many people. I, everybody, nobody's exempt from insecurity. But there's others that have a grip on it and it doesn't rule their life. And fear doesn't rule their life. Fear comes to all of us. We all can be fearful of our life. We all can be fearful of our circumstances. We can all be fearful of the next day. We can be fearful of what's going to happen to our family. We can be fearful of our circumstances. But at the end of the day, it's what are you going to do with that fear? Is that fear going to stop you from trusting in God? And that's what God does. If you want to learn to trust God, you have got to push fear aside. I'm not saying fear doesn't come. You're going to be fearful. You have to, we have to learn to embrace fear. Not embrace it, meaning that I'm going to take it and I'm going to be scared all the time. I'm saying I've got to realize when I take a step of faith, when I take a step that might be walking off of a cliff, when I take a step that's going to get a little bit of scary because I don't know where the end is, I'm going to be fearful. But i got to learn to stuff that fear aside and say, God, you're leading me here. Then I want to be like Peter and I want to get myself out of the boat. I want to walk right on water. I want to trust in you that when I go through this, that's how you trust in God. You have to remove the fear. You have to embrace it's going to happen. You're going to have fear and fear of failure. There's too many people that fear failure too much. I know the one group of society that, that it hinders the most is men. Men, we fear because we believe, because we know that we hold a lot of things in our hands, a lot of responsibility on our backs, a lot of things that we are called to do. And one thing we don't like to do is fail. We don't want to fail our families. We don't want to fail our, fail our finances. We don't want to do any of that stuff. So we are fearful that if I do this, then it's going to cause this problem. But if you look at people that were successful, they made mistakes before they had successes. I'm going to say that again. They made mistakes before they had successes. Matter of fact, a lot of them had failures before they had successes. You can read them. The stories are all over the place. You can read all the stories, whether you agree with the people, who they are, but their success is the reality that they took a step of faith, whether it was in God or themselves, and they had stuffed fear in their pockets and say, you know what, I'm going to do this even though it's scary. And so God takes this the 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 Israelites, as we're reading in the scripture, he says, the first people I'm going to knock out of the crowd is those that are fearful. Those that have insecurity. Now, God doesn't abandon us because of that. Don't take that pastor's telling you that. This preacher's telling you that if you're fearful, God has abandoned you. No, that's not what I'm saying. God is trying to tell you something right now that if you have fear in your life, you're going to struggle with trust. You're going to struggle. If you have insecurity that rules your life, you're going to struggle with trusting God. You wonder, well, sometimes, well, why doesn't this happen? And why doesn't that happen? Oh, why doesn't God, <clears throat> why don't I hear God? And why doesn't God do this or that? <clears throat> Question I have for you. Last time he told you to step out in faith, what did you do? 
Did fear get a hold of you and you didn't do it? I know some people that know the Holy Ghost is real and they feel his presence, but they're fearful to receive it. You can't get questioning why hasn't God filled me with his spirit like they did in the book of Acts when they spoke a language they never knew. When Peter said, this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of, that God will pour out his spirit. He wasn't just talking about them jumping up and down. The people were debating with him about all these noises we're hearing, all this language that we're hearing. And Peter said, this is that. You have to take a step of faith and desire it and want it. It's hard to trust something that you're scared of all the time. Can I get an amen? Amen. I amen myself. <laughs> Verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and of whom, I want everybody to pay attention to this part in your Bibles, and of whomsoever I say unto thee. This is God talking to Gideon. This shall not go with thee. The same shall not go. What is, what is God talking about? What God is saying is that I will make the choice. Who's going and who's not. It's the second step in the area of trusting God. When all you have left is God and all you have left is Him, what are you going to do? You have to trust Him. And in order to be able to walk through life when all you have left is God, you have to get over your fear and insecurities. And the next thing is you've got to allow God to make some choices. Well, pastor, preacher, well, God doesn't always speak that audible voice to me. But He did give you a book written for you and for me. There's another thing that God does, a still small voice. There's also a thing that he does called a nudge. He will nudge you. Many times God does that with me. I feel the nudge that God is leading me to go do this. When I'm up doing songs or I'm up preaching or something like that, I'm sensing the nudge of God. I might not necessarily hear every word that he's speaking into my heart, but I feel the nudge and I'm willing to just sit there and wait until he says go forward. If you want to have trust in God, you've got to trust in the choices that he makes. You've got to trust in what he tells you to do in his book. When he tells us things that we know sometimes are hard. Listen, when it's inconvenient, it's not very easy to follow. Only when it's convenient. I heard a good line the other day, to, the other day from a good uh, a man of God, Brother Carpenter. He uh, is the general superintendent. The ALJC is Assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said this, submission. This is what submission is. Submission is when... Oh, I forgot. Submission is when agreement, the place where agreement ends. So if your boss or, or, your, or you know, a parent tells a child, and you're all on board about doing all this stuff, and as soon as that person that's not in the position of authority doesn't agree with the next step, that is when submission happens. Not when, oh, I'm submitting to so-and-so when I don't mind doing it because I like it. I agree with it. Or I don't know what else to do, so I'll do it because it makes some sense to me. But when it all of a sudden hits that line where you don't agree with it, that's where submission starts. That's where it starts. That's where we decide Am I going to follow the choice of the person God put in my life? Young person, that's where you ask the question, am I going to follow my parents when they're telling me what I need to do? Am I going to trust them? 
Am I going to obey them? Am I going to listen to what they're saying? Because that is where submission begins. And that's the same thing when it comes to God and Him making choices. He tells Gideon specifically. He doesn't tell him. See, we keep reading on. I'm already getting ahead of myself. And I don't mind saying it. Is it talks about that, that at the end of the day, God says those that got down on their knees, they went to the water. I'll kind of just paraphrase the next couple of verses. They get down to the water. And the ones that go like this, just drink it, like drink right from the creek. It says like a dog laps for water. Those must go home. They have to stay in their tents. But the ones that sit not on their knees, but they sit crouched like this and they're looking around and they take the hand and they put their hand in there, grab the water and they drink it. I've heard preachers say the whole thing with that. I'm not going to get into that this morning. What I'm just going to point out is that God never told Gideon that originally. He never told Gideon how the choice was going to be made. He just said, this is my choice. Those that I choose. He says it just like this. I underlined in my Bible. And of whomsoever I, God is speaking. When it comes to trusting God, we have to trust in the choices that he makes. The people he puts in our life. The circumstances that we face. It's the choice. It's God's It's the choice. And we allow God to make that choice. So skipping down to verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped, meaning they, they, said, they, they sit down and they grab the, the water with their hand, that lapped will I save you. And that number was 300. So God goes from 32,000 to 10,000 to now 300 men. And I, will, and I will save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hands and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent and retained those 300 men. And the host of the Midianites was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if, if thou fear to go down, go with Pharaoh, or Fura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterwards shall thine hand be stretched, strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with uh, Pura, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. There were so many of them. And their camels were without number as the sand by the sea side for the multitude. So the army was very massive. No way 300 dudes are going to destroy this army. But again, when all you have left is God, what are you going to do? You have to trust him. And when, and when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto this fellow and said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, so, so Gideon's sitting there and he's listening and he hears from a distance somebody in the, in the Midianites and Amalekites uh, tents telling this dream that they heard, that they had. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow, and his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword 
of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for unto into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. You gotta understand, when you have pushed fear aside and you've pushed insecurity aside and you're you're trusting in God's choices, I tell you what God's always going to be doing. He's going to be doing some work even when you can't see it. Even though Gideon did not do any of these things, what was happening on the background is that God was already talking to hearts. God was already putting fear into the army of the Midianites and the Amalekites. They had not even seen the pitily 300 people that were going to come and kill them. They didn't even know how many were coming. All they knew was this man had a dream that was so real and so fearful that it caused them to have fear about what was happening. What did that mean? Is that they were already on edge. They were already fired up. They were already scared and worried. They were already not knowing what was going to happen. I'm telling you, in your circumstance, in your situation, everything in front of you can look bleak and can look gray and not look right. Today, right now, it is a cloudy day outside. But everybody knows at the end of a cloud is a sunshine or a sun, or a sun rays of blue skies. That doesn't happen until the clouds go by. Can I tell you, whatever God is leading you through, whatever God is pushing you through, you need to trust that when all else fails, God is doing work for you when you don't even know it. When you can't even see it. When you don't even feel it. That's what God is doing. He's working overtime. When you're sleeping, God is working. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's alive today just as, as much as he was yesterday. And he is forever and ever and ever and ever. There's no end to who God is. There's no beginning. He is who he said he is, the Alpha and the Omega. He is beyond all things because he is God Almighty. And he is doing a work for you in your circumstance. And you've got to trust that he's doing that. I've seen it so many times in my life. I've seen things where I thought everything was going down. Nothing was going to go right. Then all of a sudden... Because I waited a while. I waited a little bit longer and trusted God. He would roll out the circumstance that I needed to have. Well, I've never experienced that, preacher. Have you gone long enough to trust Him? Or have you already jumped ship and took a different train because you didn't like the route, the tracks that God was going on? Can I get an amen? Amen. I'll amen myself. <laughs> Listen, God is trying to talk to somebody's heart right now. He wants to let you know. You don't got to get off this track. When you're on the train track with Jesus Christ, it's the right track. It might sometimes look bleak. There might be a tunnel ahead and it looks like it's going to collapse. There might be fire all around you. But I can tell you right now that God has control of that train. And he has control of that track. And he can make a whole new track if he wants to. He can steer you a different way if he wants to. But you've got to trust him. He won't make you trust Him. He won't force you to trust Him. But He'll try as hard as He can because He loves you, because He cares about you, because you're everything to Him. Trusting in God. When all else fails, when all there's nothing else left, all you got is God. It's about trusting Him. Verse 16. And He divided the 300 men, Gideon, 
into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read their weapons. This is the weapons of these 300 piddly men going against an army that they say that the sea, the sand of the seas, there's not even enough. There's so many of them. So here's their, here's their weapons. AK-47s, bazookas, atomic bombs. Oh, wait a minute. That's not in this Bible, is it? My bad. Okay, let's go back again. It says this. A trumpet. So I guess it's something you're going to be able to either blow in their ear or hit them over the head. I'm not sure. And then they're going to get an empty pitcher. All right? So I guess, again, maybe smashing them with pitchers. But I guess once you smash one guy, I don't know what you're going to do. You ain't got no more pitchers left. But I guess you can, you know, the handle might be able to do it for you. Um, and then you get a lamp. So I guess you could burn a couple people on fire. So that's the fester weapons. <laughs> you got to understand this process that God is taking them through. When all you have left is God, are you going to trust him with your weakness? Are you going to trust him in your circumstance that you're at the weakest? That your weapons don't even stand a chance against the enemy of your soul? That the weapons you have don't stand a chance against anything? Like all you've got is $2 bills to rub together and, and they've already rubbed so far off because you've been rubbing them so long that the baker won't even take it from you. Because you just don't have anything. But you have God. You have God. And you might be looking, well, hey, preacher, you understand. I've grown with this or I, I'm going through this. I, I struggle with this. I've failed at this and I've failed at that. I'm 50 years old and I still don't have the career that I want. I'm 20 years old and I'm still not stable and I'm homeless or, or I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. And you know, my mom and dad have kicked me out or, or whatever's happened. Or I, my, my marriage is on the rocks or, or my kid doesn't listen to me or, or I can't get a job or, or I'm in so much pain. I don't know what it is, but I want to tell somebody this morning. I want to tell somebody that's listening to this right now and watching this. You've got to trust God in your weakness because God's greatest strength is found in your weakness. We touched on that last week. 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about that, that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My, your weakness, my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. So here we have the circumstance. Again, it's all about trusting God. It's all about trust. He's not going to just, everything's just going to happen all the time. There's sometimes I know people that have said these things and boom, this happened. Or they did this or they gave that and boom, it happened. But that's not the story every time, folks. That's not how it always goes. Listen, nowhere else in the Bible did 300 men take over an entire country. That doesn't happen again. God chose it differently here. He said, I'm going to choose 300 men that are going to go, to go and fight these Midianites and destroy them. But you're going to do it with weakness. You don't have the weapons you need to actually fight. Matter of fact, I'm only going to give you a voice and your hands. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. But you have to trust God in your weakness. That no matter how weak you are, no matter what your circumstance, your situation is, God is going to help you through that. He's going to give you the strength that you need. But you have to trust him. You have to trust him. Verse 17. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. Gideon's talking. Behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall you do. And when I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp. 
and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So what he's saying is we're going to surround the camp. We're going to surround them where they are. We're going to have 100 men here, 100 men there, and 100 men over here. And we're going to shout. We're going to, we're going to blow trumpets. As soon as I, I, I blow this trumpet, you're going to do the same thing. And then you're going to say the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that they were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets. Listen, talk about God doing work on the outside. Behind closed doors. Real quick on verse 19. Understand this. When they had put a new guard in. What they wanted is God was standing up because you're most alert. If you're in the military like I was, uh, you're more alert when you start your guard duty. Unless you've really got no sleep. But you're always the worst at the end of your shift. So they were most alert at this time. And he wanted them to be most alert because they'll sound the alarm faster. And panic will happen faster. That was the point to this. God was walking them through this. In verse 20, And the 300 companies blew the trumpet, 300 men, and break their pitchers, and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands and blew withal and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So what happened is a fire blew up when they smashed these pitchers and the trumpet and the sound it sounded like thousands and hundreds of thousands of people were surrounding them. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled in verse 22. And the 300 men blew the trumpets and the Lord said, every man sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to, I'm not even getting into all these words. <laughs> but what did God do? He used their voice. <laughs> he used their voice of victory to confuse the enemy. The voice of victory to confuse the enemy. Do you and I not realize that the God we serve has the entire fight fixed? He's going to win no matter what. Even if we don't choose him, he's still going to win at the end of the day. At the end of the day, God will win because God is on the throne. He's always in control. So if we learn to trust him, we will always live in the victory. You might not feel the victory. You might not see the victory. But if you have faith in the victory and you push fear aside and insecurity, trusting in God's choices, and then you, you've trusted in that he's working on the backs, on the, on the, um, working on the inside, but he's also working behind closed doors. You don't know what's happening. He's doing all those things. He is already delivering victory into your hands, and you haven't even fully seen it through yet. Because God is always working when we're not seeing And he has them shout the voice of victory. And the voice of victory, the enemy doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that when you're going through hell on earth, why you are still praising God. Why you are still choosing to praise God. Why you are still choosing to listen to God and follow God. It confuses him when all of a sudden everything's not going right, but you still shoot your hands in the sky and you shoot your hands in the air and with your voice you praise God and you give him glory. Listen, it's not just... What do I do when all I have is left is God? What do you do when all you have left is your praise? When all you have left is your praise, and all you have left is to clap your hands before Him. To be able to shout with the voice of 
triumph. Camilla, shout with the voice of victory. We are going to give him a praise. To glorify his name. And the whole time the devil's looking at you. And he's saying, I don't understand. Why are they still dancing? Why are they still shouting? Why are they still clapping? I've taken everything from them. Because listen, at the end of the day, when all I have left is God, and all I have left is my praise, I'm still going to praise Him with the voice of triumph. Because He's worthy no matter my circumstance. No matter my situation, God is still worthy of it. But all you have left and when you do that, it confuses the enemy and it makes him flee. In this case, it caused them all to start killing each other. They start turning on each other. I already gave you my, my, my closing statement as I'm closing you. I would like to close with this, this statement that sums all this up. And that is when all you have left is your praise. In your weakest state, you always still have your praise. In your last breath, you always still have your praise. When life is throwing you curveballs, you will always have your praise. When your friends have abandoned you, your boyfriend or girlfriend have ran off on you, or no one will talk to you, you will still have your praise. You will still have a voice to glorify God when all is lost when there's nothing else you can do or say and all we have is God you will still have your praise Psalm 20 in verse 7 is a beautiful verse that lines up with this whole thing about trust some trust in chariots and summon horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We will remember the name of our Lord God. Others look to the world and other people but for help. But when all of that is gone, there is still one who is still there. And his name is Jesus. I want you to grab somebody in your home. Grab somebody's hand in your home. Maybe you're driving again. I want you just to pull over or something right now. Maybe you're on a rush. That's fine. But just put your hand on the steering wheel. And I just want you to grab somebody's hand. I want you to grab someone's hand. I want you to pull your family aside. I want you to take a little bit of a moment right here. And I want you to talk to God. I want you to pray over your family. As I'm about to pray over all of us to close this whole thing up, I want you to sit there right where you're at and hold your family tight. And I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to help you to trust Him. Help you to have faith in Him. Help you to have these things to cast out all fear and insecurity. To trust in the choices that God has to make. To trust in Him. To have faith to know that He's working on the background. And that when all you have left is your voice, that is the greatest voice you can have to have victory in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's close our eyes. Wherever you're at, close your eyes. Jesus, I thank you. Right now, God, I ask you, Lord, to minister to every heart, to every mind, every soul, every person right now where they're at. I pray that you minister to them right at this very moment. 
And that you help them, God. That you help them, I pray. Help them, Lord. We cast out all fear and all insecurity. We push it all aside right now. Oh, God, I ask you, Lord, to help them. Help them right now to push all that aside. To stop to stop whatever. If anybody's working on something right now, I pray. Just help them to stop and just pray. Just pray. Oh, hallelujah. God, we remove all fear. We remove all doubt. Remove all insecurity right now in the name of Jesus. And God, you cast it out as far as the east meets the west. Oh God, in the name of Jesus. And help us, Lord, right now to have trust, Lord. To have trust in who you are. To have trust in the choices that you have to make through your precious word. God, help us, Lord, as to know that you're always working on the background. You're always working when we can't see. Oh, God, I pray that you help us to trust you with our weaknesses. Trust you, Lord, because that's when our greatest strength will come arise. God is within our greatest weakness. Not that we have to work on our weaknesses. No, let's work on the strengths that you've given to us. But God, we ask you to help us, Lord. Help us, God, to trust in you with our weaknesses so that we can see your greatest triumphs, God, in Jesus' name. And I pray that you help all of us, Lord, to open our mouths, to open our mouths and lift our hands. Right now where you're at, just open your mouth and lift your hands and just give him praise right now for the victory. Give him glory for what he's done in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you are thinking, oh, it's too weird. I can't do this where I'm at. Oh, I got my wife doing this or my husband doing that or the kids running around. Listen. I'm in a church right now. There's not a single person. But I'm preaching and praying like there's a house full of people. Because I'm telling you, there's a God that's going to hear what I'm saying. And he's going to try to touch my faith and touch my trust. And I have that much faith. So I call on you right now. Just lift your voices to heaven. Just lift your voices and hands to God. And just say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. God, when all I have left is you, I'm going to trust in you. When all I have left is my praise, I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to glorify your mighty, mighty name. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you.